0: What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on an all-new episode of The Decoding Success Podcast. Really excited to have you here for yet another episode. If you are new to the show, this is your first time checking us out, I want to say welcome. Really excited to have you and to all our returning guests, all our returning members of our very faithful community of listeners, welcome back. I want to give a huge shout-out to our partners right out of the gate, Acadium. If anyone is looking for remote marketing interns, especially during this time of quarantine, this is the opportunity to do so i am giving you an amazing platform to find someone to add to your team that is effective and affordable nonetheless all you got to do is check them out in the show notes of this episode very simple you don't even need to stop listening to this just scroll up find the link click acadium check it out amazing database just wanted to give them a huge shout out before we get into anything on top of that i'm going to let you know that we are diving into an amazing conversation with an amazing individual and i'm going to ask you to share this right there is no fee for listening to a podcast, but if there were one, it should be to continuously share and support by leaving a rating and review if you have not done so yet. That means the absolute world to us and Honestly, it helps us tailor the show to your liking, to your needs, and to get a better feel of how we could bring value to your day-to-day life for you to optimize your net time, whether you're listening to this show while you're taking a walk or a run, maybe you're in the gym lifting weights, maybe you're traveling, going on a road trip, whatever the case is, we want to help you optimize that net time by listening to this podcast. So leaving a rating and review means the absolute world to us. Make sure you're sharing this with your circle, your mastermind, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your staff, whomever. That all also means the world to us, but with all of that out of the way, I want to introduce you to today's guest. Today we are joined by my friend Jatali Bellington, founder, creator, and author behind the highly successful youth literacy program and book, Kids Who Bank. Now. Jitali has spent the past 17 years in the finance worlds of investment banking and forensic accounting both in the UK and USA. Now Kids Who Bank's literacy program is one of the first financial literacy programs designed specifically for youth and is proudly part of over 200 schools. Jitali was named the 2019 New York State Mother of the Year for her efforts and contribution to educating the next generation. She is also an award winning author, investor, and the founder of the annual Kidpreneur Awards Gala honoring inspirational entrepreneurs. Jitali and her work have been featured in Forbes, Rolling Out, ABC New York, Sheen Magazine, CNBC, Essence, and many more. She's bringing all of her value today, her insights, her experiences, all of that good stuff to the show. Really excited to introduce her to all of you. So without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Jitali. Jitali, first and foremost, I need to say thank you for taking the time out of your quarantine schedule nonetheless and hopping on here, decoding success to add value. So thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. My pleasure. So first question, this is how we kick off the show. Uh, It's not going to change any anytime soon, but I need to know out of total curiosity, how do you personally define success? (laughs) Through growth. Okay.
1: So for me, um, I just find my personal success in my growth. When I look back at the things that I've experienced, have I learned from those lessons, the downfalls, like the negative aspects? Do I keep repeating the same mistakes or have I evolved past them? So for me, it's like a constant growth chart. And I'm just always looking to see, okay, how have I evolved in the last year? So I'm very big on like writing down play by play of what I've experienced um, and what I was accomplished, able to accomplish the previous year because I realized beforehand I used to have this mistake of never really patting myself on the shoulder and always kind of like minimizing my success. Right. So I would, I would do something and I'd be like, wow, this used to be a goal for me. And once I do it, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I'm not doing enough. And it was like, I always felt like I wasn't doing enough, but I wasn't really, taking in all the things that I accomplished, I achieved, and how I was able to grow from the things that maybe stumped me for a little bit, um, or move past them. So to me, my growth is honestly, that is the answer. I love that. Now, I'm
0: very curious, how did you get out of the mindset of feeling like you weren't doing enough, right? Because that um, not even just being an entrepreneur, but maybe being an artist, maybe being a podcast or an author, you know, a speaker, right? We can always fall into those traps. And you want to know what, even being a nurse, you know, uh, especially during this time, you know, a lot of people that I know um, are picking up extra shifts and things of that nature. So I'm really curious, mm-hmm. like, how did you get out of that mindset to understand that you were doing enough, that you were growing, et cetera?
1: Well, I think the first step for me was, there was a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. And okay. a friend of mine, I read it before. And it's interesting because when I first read the book, I don't think I took from it what I was supposed to take from it. I kind of like skimmed through it and I was kind of busy with other things and I didn't really read the book. And I was talking to a friend and a friend mentioned something from within the book and it just hit me different. And I was like, I think it's time for me to reread this book. And I just, this second time around reading the book, it was like, oh my God, like, this is my life right now. Like I've reached this point where, you know, the older you get, you get to a certain age and it's kind of like you are told you can't teach an old dog new tricks and you start to believe it. Right. And I'm like, I think I'm an old dog. Like I don't have new tricks. <laughs> There's nothing in me. Like, you know, I'm just like, I'm corporate. Maybe I need to go back to corporate. So leaving corporate, being an entrepreneur. And then when the the hits were coming, I remember just having these moments where I was just kind of like, maybe I took the wrong turn. Like I need to go back to corporate. And I started to kind of have that freak out moment. And reading that book just reminded me, I was like, okay, well, you know what? You're basically trying to tell yourself that there is no room for growth, or improvement. And- I just woke up. I just like snapped out of it instantly. It was like, okay, are you gonna give your 100%? Are you gonna keep giving 60% or 70% thinking you're giving 100% when you know deep down inside you're not? And I just had to start giving 100% and I had to refocus and repurpose. So I had like a million things that I wanted to do, but I had to kind of be like, okay, well, you're kind of not mastering anything because you're so good at so many things, but what are you taking the time to master what it is that you say you wanna master? or perfect whatever field you're in. Um, and I think that book really helped me on that journey. Um, you know, even, in fact, now when I have mentees, I always tell them before I can accept you as a mentee, I would like you to read that book. Wow. <laughs> so, um, you know, and I don't get a plug or any money from suggesting the book, but it's literally because I felt like it, it added to so much of my growth that I'm like, even if it doesn't add to your growth, at least read the book and let's have a conversation about it. And sure. from there, I could see how serious you are about me being a mentor. Um, because a lot of my mentees, I feel like they are dealing with parallel issues. Rather, it's the fear of rejection or the fear of um, the door being closed or entering in a room and the imposter syndrome. And those are all experiences and feelings that I had in my past. And I had to walk, walk past and work past because I realized that my objective, my goal was more important than my fear. Right. So for me, that was it. Like that was my groundbreaking, I guess you could say moment when it's like just realizing like I got to push past my fear.
0: Right. I love that. Listen, we can dive into all of that. But before we get it, you know, before we get into that, right, you know, you mentioned corporate. I want to even backtrack a little bit more than that. I want to know about your upbringing. Like who was Jitali in high school?
1: Jitali in high school was a person who was friends with a little bit of everybody, To the point that I remember there was like a gothic girl in my school that no one talked to. And I was like the only person who was friends with her. But I actually transitioned from living in the UK to living in the US for a couple of years in high school. Um, Eventually, I went back home to the UK. Um, But while I was living in the States, there was this Gothic girl in my high school. Um, I went to Andrew Jackson. I thought I was going to a law and government school. And then when I got to the school, we realized that it was Andrew Jackson, just they changed the name of the school. And Andrew Jackson in Queens was like a notoriously quote, unquote bad school. And, um, you know, you had a little bit of everything and I was friends with a little bit of everything. I had the West Indian cliques that I was friends with and I had like the quote unquote nerds and geeks I was friends with. Um, but coming from the UK, you're so used to being around such a variety of energies and personalities. It was no different when I came to high school here. Um, and then so for me, that transition towards the end of my my second year, um, I started to have all the credits I need to graduate early and I got a paid internship at Credit Suisse First Boston. And there was just nothing in my life that I knew I wanted to do more. So I kind of started losing my friends because when most kids at 16 were like going to the movies and doing all this fun stuff, I was like coming to school in a soup and leaving early to go to my, my paid internship. Right. Um, and even when I went back to the UK, I transitioned with the same company, Credit Suisse First Boston, to continue doing investment banking as a paid intern. And then as a hired, young person on the team um, in the UK. But for me, honestly, it was like, I just knew what I wanted to do. I was locked in and I didn't care if my friends thought I was funny because I was coming to school in a suit <laughs> and like right. my little shoes. And everybody else was walking like trainers and sneakers and their sweatsuits and whatever outfits were popping back then. <laughs> and I was like literally in, in a suit. Um, but that was like my high school. I graduated early. I kind of didn't even really care to like connect with most people because I just felt like, the room that I was trying to walk into, most of them didn't understand it. And they kind of, like, would kind of tease me about it. Like, oh, what are you doing? You work too much. And I'm like, okay, well, my spirit is telling me this is my next step. And, of course, there came the poking from that. And I honestly was one of those kids who didn't care. Like, I'm like, you can say what you want to say about me. Like, like I really don't care. Um, and that probably came from the fact that I had, like, a kick-ass side. And awesome. like, my dad was amazing. Like, I was raised by my dad and he was an amazing father. And the moments where I needed that nurturing of someone to pour into me and say, like, it doesn't matter what the world says as long as you believe in what you're doing. Like, he was that person to step up and be like, does it really matter? And he's like, if you have no friends, I'll be your friend. And I was like, I always have somebody as a friend. Um, and it, <laughs> it really also define who my friends truly were, right? Because right. I started to learn from then, like, okay, well, it's about the people who support you and aren't working against you. Um, because honestly, throughout life and every phase, you're going to have people who work against you who are going to distract you from your goals. And it's so funny because those moments in high school, I've experienced it throughout my career, rather it's in corporate or entrepreneurship, but you have, people who are like successful themselves. And when you're trying to get to that same success, they're like, oh, let's just go to this fundraiser. Let's just go to this gala. And I'm like, I need to work on this equity deck.
0: Oh man. <laughs> and,
1: you know, and they're like, well, just pay someone 20,000 to do it. And I'm like, I don't know if it's a smart idea for me to pay some person 10 to $20,000 to do an equity deck when I could technically take an online class and learn it myself. So it's like new devils, new levels, right? So like I got to a new level and then it's a new level of persuasion and peer right. pressure, and I just had to like work past that peer pressure.
0: Now, first and foremost, shout out to Queens, born and raised 27 years. Just throwing that out there. Shout out to Queens. We out love Queens. Total, good, good, good. I'm glad. I love it too. I don't think I'll ever leave, but um, I Wait, do travel. On. Where in Queens are you? I'm in Middle Village. It's very, okay, very so small. Okay,
1: I'm in Belrose. Okay, you're not too far. So I'm in the border of Queens and Long Island right there in Belrose. Awesome. So i yeah, so it's funny. After leaving, going back to the UK, I eventually came back technically for Queen.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now, I, I'm just really curious about this. Where does the Italian come from? Because you hit me with a capiche before. You also oh, have Chow okay. on your website. I, I need to know, where's the Italian coming from?
1: So my dad is Jamaican-Italian, okay. and my mother is Cape Verdean, which is West African. Um, so yeah, so it's like it's hard for me to even avoid it. Um, (laughs) I love love it, I love love it it. I just naturally do it, I guess But yes, I was raised predominantly in an Italian household Um, You know, sort of down to the Christmas Eve Only fish and no meat Down to, like traditional Knowing how to make my pasta from scratch Uh, (laughs) That's
0: awesome, that is so awesome
1: So, So, are you Italian?
0: I'm half Italian, half French 50-50 I'm I'm born and raised here (laughs) Bonjour, je m'appelle Mathieu
1: Okay, is that all you know in French now? That's the Yes, French that's thing. all
0: I know in French.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to let that's it rock. Okay. If you didn't
0: ask that, I was going to let it rock. That is all I know no, in no, French. No,
1: because je pas français. So if you say what you're saying, I'm like, hmm, is it because that's all he knows or should I put him on the spot? <laughs> so that's one of my <laughs> that's, languages. That's why I asked. Um, I love it. I love it. I mean,
0: I was just in France. I did get by with the very little I know. Um, but. We, we made it work. We made it work. I'm just really curious now, too, to understand, like, how you didn't have FOMO at such a young age, right? Like, I catch FOMO now. Like, there, there are times, like, I know I need to work. And, you know, Memorial Day weekend, perfect example, just passed. There were so many things that I could have been doing. Even with the lockdown, you know, I could have, you know, remained safe and did some fun things, yet I was just grinding, you know. But I did have some FOMO. So I'm curious, like, what was it at such a young age that, you know, helps you not catch FOMO? Um,
1: I think the main thing was, I would say, so, okay, rewind. My mother figure, my personal, my actual biological mom passed away when I was three. Okay. And um, my dad, you know, he tried to do the right thing and get me a mother figure and you know how that works. And she was very irresponsible of money. So as a kid, up until they separated, I watched her struggle with money. I watched this woman You know, when they broke up, she moved to Brooklyn and um, my dad and I stayed in the UK. And when I would come visit her every holiday, every time I would visit her, it was watching her move from like a posh neighborhood to a very bad neighborhood, to a dodgy area, to like a very bougie area. So it was like watching her, but her hair always looked amazing. Her nails were always manicured. Her toes were always perfect. She always looked so well put together, but deep down inside, she was struggling financially. So watching her budget and crash and burn continuously when it came to money and just watching her live, borrow to borrow, it left me really just feeling like I don't want to be that person. Um, and there was a catalyst, which I don't really share with most people, where when I was eight, um, one time, because my dad gave me money and she wants the money, she kind of snapped because I told her I wasn't going to give her the money. And I called her a liar. So, you know, she was a West Indian woman. You don't call a West Indian woman a liar. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, especially as an eight year old kid. So she actually beat me and she beat me to my nose lead, which was the first time I kind of finally told my dad what was happening. Like, hey, every time I come down here, I give her all the money you give me and she spends on whatever. And she, you know, this is who she is. Um, because as a kid, when that happened, I had never been beaten at that point before in my life. And, you know, it wasn't like she punched me or anything, but she took a belt and she beat me. You know, some parents do it, but I had never experienced it. So for me, just at eight, that was like my eureka moment. Like, Daddy, can you teach me everything about money? I don't want to be that person. So it was something that kind of scarred me, and it kind of scarred me straight. You know, some people would take it and maybe not learn from it, but I learned from it. So by the time I was in high school, for me, I was like, I don't want to be that woman. And I don't know at what point she became who she became. So it kind of became like slight obsession of like, here's an opportunity for you to continue learning about money and being financially secure and not making certain mistakes that you saw her make, you have to take it. And I knew that my friends couldn't understand it because a lot of them had like family members and parents who were kind of giving them everything, Um, you know, and even the ones who didn't have parents giving them everything, you know, still had a certain level of comfortability, right? Because they didn't, they were in the dark. So they just kind of thought money still grew on trees and we were in high school. And I knew that wasn't the case. And I knew people had to work hard for money. And I, I knew that they, most people don't have it given to them. And those who have it given could easily lose it. Um, and that just kind of, I guess, woke me up because even like with her, when she was with my dad, what made them break up was she was spending his money like it was water and like right. pouring from the tap. And you know, my dad was like, I'm not gonna let you make me go broke you know, um, which also kind of gave me the understanding of like, okay, well, someone can separate and not hate each other. But sometimes it's for that person betterment, right? Um, so I got to see a different angle of things. So my dad was very honest, which I think most men, like the fathers are like that with their children. They tend to be more um, direct and clear cut, like this is what this is and why versus how, you know, sometimes a mom will be like the fluff one, like, oh, let's protect the child. But I didn't get that protection. I got the straight, raw truth, and it helped me become who I became. And I think it's really
0: admirable, nonetheless, the fact that you were able to tap into OPM at such a young age. You know, we always hear OPM thrown around like other people's marketing, other people's manufacturing, but it's also other people's mistakes, right? And Mm -hmm. you were able to tap into that and leverage into what you're doing today, and even what you did at such a young age at 16 with the internship. Like, that's freaking incredible how it's all like full circle, you you know? I love that. Thank you. I absolutely love that. So, all right. So the, the dots are connecting here. That's kind of what I like to do. Like I know about your current situation. We'll get to that. But I always like to know like the upbringing as well, which is why I asked that whole high school question. But um, so you got into finance right away. Uh, you, were, you were in corporate America. You left corporate America. You launched Kids Who Bank. Tell me about Kids Who Bank, just so that we could educate all the listeners and, and get everyone up to speed.
1: So Kids Who Bank is a youth financial literacy organization. We teach, um, we have a finance curriculum that's, 2019 went into 217 schools nationwide, Um, and it was based off of a book. The book was my first book that I ever wrote after leaving corporate, and it was called Once Versus Needs. And uh, Once Versus Needs was basically a financial literacy book tackling depreciation, credit scores and APRs, marketing and branding, um, and just basic fundamentals that these kids had to go on this journey to purchase a game console. And, of course, in real fashion, the kids go through the experience of when they work so hard for the game console, because it's their hard earned money, do they decide now to spend so much money on a game console or buy eight of them because it was eight kids? Um, And, you know, so like you kind of watch that journey because I feel like us as adults, we go through the same journey where when we work so hard for the money, it's like you might've had a goal, but now do I really want to spend my money on this item? Um, And I Mm -hmm. think it's a really important factor for our kids to learn because a lot of them don't understand terms like depreciation. So it's like if we live in a consumerism you know, in consumerism, we're all consumers, but yet our kids don't even understand that everything has a value that can increase or decrease, then are we really doing them right? You know, are we keeping them in the dark too much? And I just wanted to kind of open that door of conversation with the kids. Um, and next thing I knew, we had a curriculum. And I, you know, I, someone suggested, hey, you should create a curriculum out this book. It's great. And I went online and I was up till like 2, 3 a.m., learning how to create a curriculum, I got a mentor who knew how to write program development and curriculums, um, Dr. Smart, she was amazing. And um, she was actually one of the first people to trust me for school. And, you know, and it was a school in Farockaway, Queens. And, um, you know, everybody was like, Oh, my God, you're gonna go to Farockaway, Queens. And my son was on my hip. And I had an assistant who would meet me at the school to watch him while I was teaching. And, you know, they would always be like, Oh, my God, you're gonna go to Farockaway, Queens with your son. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, these are my people. Like, you know, I can't say I want to help inner city youth and underserved communities, but then I'm afraid to go into them. Right? Right. So it just was like a, a full circle 360 moment. And it was my first time being back in Queens after a while. And you know, and I'm not gonna lie, I took a long road and I was like, okay, this area is kind of a little dodgy and I was a little scared walking to the school. But then I got there and it was just amazing. And it just Good. kind of invigorated. everything that I wanted to do and what I've been able to accomplish thus far.
0: That's so awesome. So what was the process like? I think you said 217 schools have the curriculum right now. That is amazing. Like what was that so, process like?
1: um so to clarify like so it's not that they get the curriculum we come in and we teach the curriculum um and we do the program with them and then we leave and then we wait for them to invite us back in um but we don't just give them the curriculum because i i bring in the instructors and the professors uh the process was amazing because i got to really realize how much representation our children were missing and how much they needed and I think that was a missing factor for me. So even when I started creating the curriculum, I didn't realize that our kids didn't really know what affirmations were, and it didn't occur to me that a lot of them didn't even know about financial affirmations. Like, you know, I, I am one idea away from being a millionaire. So that's one of the affirmations that we start every class with. So just having them say this mantra, a lot of them would be like, "That's not true. Only rich kids can do that." And then we mm-hmm. ended up creating the Kidpreneur Awards because we wanted kids to see representatives that looked like them, that not all of them had parents given the money, that actually went to work at the supermarket to earn the money to make their first hundred thousand at like nine years old. And we had a very wide range of kids that we honored that basically superseded what most people thought that our children youth could, could do. And, you know, the diverse group of kids. And it was just like, when I went back into the schools, we were able to then show them this light. Like, okay, this is a whole other angle of what you can accomplish as children in school systems. But being in the schools, I would think that was something that really stuck out, Um, especially because a lot of them, their principals sometimes would, and I won't name name any principals, but there were principals who specifically told me, hey, these kids are not smart enough to learn this, or they're not reading at the level to even read your book. And I mean, sometimes it was high school kids, and I was told high school kids did not have the wherewithal to read a book that was Marketed for ages eight to eight, eight to 17, um, which blew my mind. What
0: I'm really curious, I mean, like, I'm just hearing you speak about it. What's crazy to me to think is, like, at such a young age, right? And I mean, you just your, your son was just here five years old. When, like, when I look back on my childhood, and I'm not just saying just from five, but even to like, I don't know, maybe freshman in high school or maybe even a little bit older than that, like, I feel like I was so imaginative, right? Like I'll I'll never forget. I was, and I'm going to use this as an example. Like if I was playing basketball with my boys, like I would say I'm Michael Jordan, my friend was Kevin Garnett or, you know, whatever the case was, like we were just imaginative in that sense. So to hear you say that people or that students at such a young age feel like they're already programmed to believe that it's not possible in a financial regard you know w- like what else are they programmed at that point to believe that you know it, that their worker
1: bees? that's one of it's them it's insane
0: it's crazy and it's
1: like a lot of them believe like oh i have to be like a certain age to make money and i'm going to have to go through certain loops to even get to that level and I don't, I don't, and then, you know, some of them are like, I don't ever want to be an entrepreneur because it's a ridiculous amount of work. And, you know, um, I hate entrepreneurship. I want to be a nine to five. I've had kids tell me that. And then I'm like, okay, they're like, what are the benefits of an entrepreneur besides working too much and not having personal time? And I'm like, wait, who taught you that? Like, where do you get these ideas from? Um, But then, you know, you don't ever want to, I'm very important, like, it's very important to me that we don't crush the dreams of our children. So when I hear things like that, I would then have, I created a part of my curriculum was creating nine to five versus entrepreneur. And, you know, in that course, when we teach the kids, we'll do something like, okay, what are the perks and pros and cons of both? So we'll teach them like tax structure. When you are, you know, when you work for someone, your average tax is 20 to 33% of whatever you make for the year. So if you made a hundred thousand, then you're paying 33,000 on average in taxes, right? Um, And then we'll teach them, okay, but if you're an entrepreneur, your tax debt is seven to thirty-seven to eleven uh, percent, right? So if you made a hundred thousand, you're only paying eleven thousand in taxes. So when you start teaching kids things like that, and they start to realize, hey, I can retain more of my money, um, it gives them more of an option of deciding if they want to take on the liability of becoming an entrepreneur because there are pros that come with it, um, such as retaining more of your money when you put in that hard work. So Um, You know, it just kind of was one more thing that just inspired me to like just add to our curriculum and another way of how we could teach our kids.
0: Right. That's amazing. So is and I'm going to refer to this as like the rewiring process is the rewiring process specifically about educating. And the reason I bring that up is because, I mean, there's people our age, older, younger, whoever, that really need to rewire themselves, right? You know, it's not just children. Like, it's great that you're able to tap into children at such a young age, but like even for individuals that are listening to this podcast that may be millennials or a little bit older, a little bit younger, give or take, you know, like what is your um, rewiring process? Is it solely educating?
1: Um, so for me, I think it's experience. Life experiences are sharing our life experiences is very important to me. Um, because I realized that just telling someone that, hey, you can change things is not enough. It's showing them personally, like how I was able to change things or how other people that I know went through certain things and changed things. So like I'll have different friends and different people that I'll tell the stories of. And, you know, like one of them, you know, um, is an athlete and he's won, a run, uh, he's won a ring. But before he won that, he was originally just kind of told that it wouldn't happen right? He was basically told that he was the worst player ever. And coming from being told that he was the worst player to then eventually being, becoming a person who won a Super Bowl was like, okay, how does that happen? What is that journey? Right? And so for me, I think that was really important, just showing representation through my friends as well and myself. What have I gone through? How have I fixed these things? Aziki, way?: Okay
0: sorry so, no yeah. no don't so, say sorry i want to give you a shout out because this is realness right here this this just goes to show like you're a mom you're hustling right now you're on a podcast and you are also taking care of your child which is freaking amazing you know this thank is you. that's
1: thank the you. grind well you know what's funny is that when i first got started even schools that we were supposed to have contracts with there were times where I had to not take a contract because I would have to ask, especially if my assistant wasn't available, if I was able to bring my son to the interview. And uh, some principals would off the bat say, no, you can't bring your child to the interview. So when that would happen, I would have to be like, okay, well then maybe next year we can come to your school. And I, you know, sometimes you didn't get a second chance to reschedule an appointment with a principal. And so there were moments where I would kind of be put to that point where it's like, do you want to no longer be a hands-on mother? and you wanna have another person come or send your son to daycare. But it was really important to me to be a hands-on mother and I didn't wanna have to choose. And you know, for me, the biggest sacrifice was um, knowing that sometimes I have to let some doors close because I wanted to be a hands-on parent. And it's not something most people can handle or understand because some people don't even have children themselves. And honestly, you're like, even those who do have children are like, oh my God, I could never do it, you know? Hence this pandemic right now. A lot of parents are like totally having meltdowns because they're not used to spending this much time with their children. Right. You know, and it's like, and I don't blame them. You know, there's no shaming in it because I'm like, you know what? a different lifetime, that might have been me, right? But in my experience, I just want to like enjoy all of these moments because I know soon he'll be like 16 and, and barely see me. <laughs> Right, right, right. I want to go pieces, <laughs> mom.
0: So how do you how do you find yourself evaluating sacrifices, right? You just used that word and I'm really curious. I I think what you just alluded to was specifically when it comes down to your value. You value being a hands-on mom, right? Is that how you value or evaluate all the sacrifices you make as, you know, another instance going from corporate to entrepreneurship, etc.
1: Um, so, I mean, that was that was the main catalyst for me to go from corporate to entrepreneurship was the fact mm-hmm. that um, at first, when I first went back after maternity leave, uh, they expected me to work the same crazy schedule, and I was like, I can't do that. I'm a mom. I have to be back home. And I remember there was this breaking moment where I missed his first giggle, and that was it for me. Like, I just literally was like, I'm over this. Um, but for me, I think it really comes down to I don't know how to explain it, but. And just that little nagging pit like if i get that feeling in my chest and my heart that if i don't do something that i will always regret it that's when i know it's time for me to move and just make it happen and i always ask myself okay if, am i gonna be one of those shoulda coulda woulda moments am i gonna have one of those and you know with writing the book when i first thought about writing a financial literacy book i told a bunch of friends that i was close with who were in the corporate world who were successful One of them was a woman of color who works with Morgan Stanley. And, you know, she was kind of like the epitome of who I wanted to be when I was her age. Right. And she was in her like early 50s and she had so many accolades. And I came to her and I was like, I want to write this book. I think it's an amazing idea. What do you think? And she was just like, oh, this is a dumb idea. I don't think that they're going to really let you teach financial literacy in the schools. And the book is honestly like she's like, I don't really know if that's something you should waste your time on. And I remembered for almost a year after she told me that, putting the book on the back burner. And Mm. then I hit a moment, like this eureka moment, where I was just like, for no reason, just pouting. I was like walking around the house and I just felt, unresolved. I just felt like there was just something that I was supposed to be doing that I wasn't doing. And I couldn't remember what it was or couldn't think of what it was until one day it just hit me like, it's the book. You should just write the book. Screw it. If only one person buys the book, that's all that it was supposed to be, but just get it out and write the book. And then after I wrote the book, and I had the book launch, she, you know, she and we had like, a, we did a Q&A panel and we talked about financial literacy and we had people come out talking about trademarking and things of that nature. And she came to the grand opening. And at the launch, she's like, oh, my God, this was such an amazing idea. And she was like, what made you think of it? And I was like, you told me this is a horrible idea. She's like, I would never have said that. And I was like, yes, you did. And I was like, I could probably find a text. X, Y, and Z at this time, this month, this year, you told me it was a bad idea. And she's like, oh, you know what happened? I was going through a bad divorce, so I was just pessimistic about life. Uh-huh. And little did I know, because she was going through whatever she was going through, she was about to make me not even, well, she didn't make me. I was about to stop not doing my own dreams and follow my own goals because of this. And it was really like a aha moment for me because I was like, you know what? You would have had this shoulda, coulda, woulda moment. And it might've taken you another five to 10 years to accomplish this book. And you would have been five to 10 years behind what you were supposed to be doing. Um, and now I'm like looking at myself and I'm like, I'm in a position where, uh, recently we got featured by Forbes, which was amazing. And then after the Forbes feature, we also work in our youth art museum in Ghana. And I'm like, some of the doors that have opened, I'm like, yo fam, did you know, this is going to be you in the future. But if I didn't just believe in myself and just know that I was going to have this empty space in my chest, it never would have happened. And that's how I felt about being a hands-on mother. I just felt like I would have had this regret that I would not be able to go back in time to resolve, right? right. Because he's only one once. He's only two twice, you know, once in his life. He doesn't turn two twice. And, you know, we don't reverse age after we hit a certain peak. So how would I have missed all these precious moments? I can't take that back. And I knew I would regret it for life.
0: Right, right. What do you feel like is the number one thing being a mother taught you?
1: Um, patience. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I thought I was patient before, but, you know, my son is a constant lesson in patience. and And not in a bad way because he's a really amazing kid. But that's the thing. Like, when you have such a good kid, what happens is when he does ask for something, even when he's being impatient, like just now with the ice cream thing, like, you know, I negotiated with him that, hey... You want to be chill and I'm going to do this recording and I'll give you a scoop of ice cream. And now he like, he was chill for like 15 minutes. And then he's like, your mom, I need that ice cream. Like, I can't stop thinking <laughs> about it. And I'm like, really fam, this is not the deal we made. <laughs> but patience, right, is that also understanding that he is at that age where he's right now dealing with a pandemic at five years old. So he's not going out to see his cousins and his friends as much as he used to. And he is kind of stuck in the house more than he normally would be. And um, also being patient and understanding where he's coming from, even when he throws like a, a, a mini tantrum and he says something like, mommy, you know, this pandemic sucks, and I'm like, it really does. I'm like, well, that's not the proper word to utilize, but then also just knowing that, okay, you know what though, you have to kind of understand he's going through a lot, right? right. And Just patience on so many levels, or even just um, the way he learns. Sometimes, you know, I I think he's gonna pick up something one through three, and I might have to teach him the same thing like five times, and I don't get it, because I'm like, how do you learn the most difficult thing so quickly? And that's something I think is easy, you want to take a week on and but it's just all levels of patience and understanding and just reminders that our children different kids are in different ways, and what you think is easy might not be that easy um, so that's I think the main thing that he's told me that and just um, my resilience I think because you know I remember my first vending event so when I first started my book to build um, people knowing who I was because I came from corporate and I only had like you know computers as friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> I was a numbers person, right? I was in front of a computer all the time. So I barely went to things and events and I didn't really have a lot of friends. So to build my network, I would bend at events. So within the first two weeks of me releasing my book was State of the Black World Union in Jersey. And I had never, and I don't drive. So I was like, oh, I'm going to take, I'm going to go to this event. And my friend was supposed to drive. And the day that we were supposed to go to this event, she gets in a car accident, like at midnight, the night before the event, the day of the event. And it was a four day event but we already paid our money. We already did all this stuff. I wasn't sure if we're gonna get a refund. And I was like, screw it. I'm gonna go by myself. I'll give her back her money, her half of it. And I will just do this by myself. And here I was my first time ever going to Jersey by myself on a New Jersey transit and a baby in a stroller, my books in a suitcase. I got to points where there is no elevators and I realized that the world that we live in is not too friendly to people with wheelchairs because a stroller to me is is kind of like a wheelchair. So I'm looking at it like I had to like take him off the stroller, carry the books down the steps, back up steps, with him on my hip the whole time, hoping someone didn't steal my books. It was like... So intense, right? And that was like the beginning of my journey. And that one day alone made me think like, maybe I need to change my mind on what I rethink what I'm getting myself into. Um, But it showed me our resilience because with my baby on my hip, I was able to accomplish it. And I sold 400 books that one weekend. And it was my first event. And that was really a good catalyst to like knowing that I was going to be okay. That's um, so awesome. Yeah. But I've had a lot of those moments, you know, in the snow and rain with him on my hip to get things done. And there's just no team, no excuses. And I think that's what motherhood is, is team, no excuses. You can't make excuses when you have a child relying on you, um, right. looking up to you. I love that. Now, Chitali,
0: I know you've done a bunch of these podcasts and press interviews and things of that nature. What do you feel like is a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it?
1: Um... I guess I would I would want people to ask, like, what can we do or what can you do to help with the financial literacy play um, in our school system? And, you know, I really wish more people asked that question. And because I really think it's important that more parents and people who aren't parents who would just who would like to see a better financial world and fiscal world around us, um, we're involved in what's happening because I really feel like there's no reason why, especially for like New York state to give you an example, that financial literacy is not a part of the school curriculum. There's just right. no reason why it isn't. And there's no way that you can say that you want people to make better economic decisions. And, you know, we have a world where all these people are falling bankruptcy and going through all of these things and have bad credit. But what are we doing to make sure our kids don't re- repeat the same mistakes? So, I think that's something that I wish more people were involved in and even cared to ask, like, what can we do? What 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 is our part? Can we start a petition? How do we sign it? How does it work? Right. And if you are someone who's in politics, well, what can you do to help make sure that New York State in a whole accepts this? Um, like one of the campaigns that I'm actually trying to create a team for is a campaign where um, if you want to open a credit card, so the credit card company would have to give you like a basic Q&A Before you can even accept it, and you'd have to learn about like compound interest and APRs, right? Because my thing is, how can you get a credit card and not understand about compound interest and credit scores, right? Right. So you think you're making minimum payments, but meanwhile your minimum payments at a 24% APR, you're basically paying back double the money by the time you're done making these minimum payments. So if you borrowed four thousand, you might be paying back seven thousand eight hundred dollars at the end of it. So you know, those are important things to know. So it's like, how do we now create teams to fix these problems?
0: Right. I love that. That's awesome. And remind me after this, I, I definitely have some ideas as to how I could help um, potentially, which,
1: awesome. would, which would be awesome. really cool.
0: Um, I, I actually just built a library here in my local community in, in the park, a little book exchange. And uh, I'm always looking to get behind, you know, programs like this. So I would love to find a way to be able to do so. So that that's really awesome. But I appreciate you sharing that too but um, on the way out of all of these interviews I asked three questions and you know I appreciate you bringing us through your journey talking about what you have going on now uh, I'm just really curious what you're going to say to these questions the first one being it might be a little cliche um, but what is the best piece of advice you've ever received
1: um, don't fear rejection okay my dad told me don't fear rejection we were learning about real estate uh, he was teaching me about we were about to purchase our first <laughs> property technically together and um, where I was actually putting money into the project we did others before but I you know and um, we put in a bid and we didn't get it the bid didn't get accepted and I was just confident we were gonna get a yes and I didn't and it like crushed me and I was like I'm over this and I was like I did so much work on comparables I knew all the numbers and somebody just sweeps right in and took it from underneath me and then that would continuously happen in real estate and I remember just knowing that it was important that I knew that you can't fear rejection rather into real estate or investing or entrepreneurship or stocks, whatever it is, you know, it's a part of all part of life and you can't fear it.
0: Right. Right. So what is your advice in regards to not fearing it? Right. Because we do hear no and uh, hearing no is uh pretty unfortunate, for, you know, every, I mean, Ever. I mean, I I never want to hear no, but I hear no every now and then. So like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's one thing to say it in regards to like, don't fear it. But like, how do you tap into not fearing
1: it? Just realizing that every no brings you closer to your yes and closer to your success. And um, what I mean by that is to give you an example. um, Every time I've gotten a no, like let's say in real estate, let's say when I was cold calling to try to get people to sell their houses to me pre-foreclosure, I would call someone and I would get within two seconds of them hanging up on me on the phone and that's rejection. Or sometimes they like, let you talk to them for like one minute. Like I'm not telling my house to you and hang up. But then I started to figure out how do I change my script to get them to stay on the phone with me longer and how can I get them to say yes or at least tell me about somebody else who might say yes. And um, then those relationships would build into a situation where maybe two months later that same person would call me back and tell me, hey, I think I'm interested in you selling my house now or buying my house for me. And... um, you know, and I'm not an agent, this is just as an investor, but that was like one of those moments where I was like, I got to perfect my script or perfect what I was working on because I was getting the no's. And when it was time to create the curriculum in the schools, I would get all these no's of people who told me, uh, yeah. You know who has featured you or where celebrities back in your curriculum and i'm like what does that have to do with the program look at the program and you know these principals sometimes in school officials wouldn't want to even care to look at it until they knew who was backing me and when you first left when i first left corporate i didn't have that right and i had my corporate accolades but not really like the rest of the world and I remember them thinking about what can I do? So then it forced me to tap into another part of my analytical side of my brain and I had to find a niche that I could feed, right? Which was schools that had a budget that was not being utilized and then learning that I could then maybe target those schools and say, let me help you spend your budget on something that's going to be good for your kids um, versus thinking that I'm just going to come in telling them this is a perfect program for their kids. And um, so every time I've had a no, I was able to take that information and turn it into a positive like what can I once again go back to growth right well how can I grow from this no and how can I make sure I get a yes the next time and even if All I right. got 50 no's that one yes might be a biggest contract that I could have gone right Like I might have had 50 no's on a $20 contract but then here I get a 10k contract with that one yes um which it balances out once again, because everything in life is balanced, right? So when you get like a hundred no's, it's like, oh my God, it's annoying. It's, it's so depressing. It's tiring. But then you get a yes and it's a big yes and it's a big win. And every win you have to, you have to really honor. You have to like, right. you have to hype yourself up because it's like, guess what? You know what? You got a hundred no's, but that did not deduct anything from your bank account. But this one yes has added some zeros in your bank account.
0: Exactly, I love that. I love that. So let's reverse engineer the question I asked you. Now, what is a piece of advice that was given to you that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time?
1: Um, slow and steady wins the race.
0: <laughs> slow and steady wins the race. Why? Yeah, Why are like, you? I mean, you talked about patience before, so.
1: <laughs> that's slow and steady. Okay, so my son says fast and steady wins a race, but that's not the advice <laughs> that I've received. Um, you know, realistically, um- I talked about patience, but even with patience, I, I, once again, like, I feel like my son kind of helped me with that even further. But when I first started, there was like a million things that I wanted to accomplish. So I would have a lot of things on my plate and I just wanted them all to just pop off. I just wanted them all to ex- excel and I wanted them all to just blossom at the same time. And I wanted to just automatically get all the press in the world. And I wanted to win all the, I wanted to just wake up overnight and have like 20,000 followers on social media. And that was not my journey. I, it's a, you know, I've had my Instagram for three years and this third year is when we finally hit 20,000 followers and that's slow and steady, right? It's continually putting things out there um, and content and, you know, just realizing that in the end of the day, I had to actually pick one lane and focus on that lane and make sure I had the proper team for that lane, which is another piece of advice that I received that I didn't like, which was like, oh, you need a team. And I'm like, I could do this on my own. And I really couldn't. I didn't realize I couldn't. And I got a lot accomplished on my own, Um, but because I was so used to people who were naysayers in the beginning, I just created a lane where I thought I could do everything by myself. And I'm like, you really can't. Because even when you have a fundraiser, you need people to donate, right? And anything you're doing, there's a team. So like even the youth art museum in Ghana, there's a team. It's not just me. Like right now I'm in the States and I'm stuck here, but I have a team out there who's looking at land for us for the Youth Art Museum. I have a team making sure that we're getting to connect with the the, the local influencers out of there to make sure that they're, they're involved in what we're doing. And I'm not Ghanaian, you know? Um, but I love the country and I love the people. But it's like you can't do it on your own, you know what I mean? Like, am I going to be on a plane every weekend? No, you're going to need a team to help you when you have a last minute meeting with somebody who's, in, who's important for the country and you can't be there because you, need, you can't be two places at one time. And um, so that was the second thing, I think, was like, as well as like the importance of needing a team and realizing I can't do everything by myself. Um, right. And actually now I realize I don't want to do everything by myself. I would not want to do anything by myself because uh, it's a lot. And I've accomplished so much more by having a network of people around me and I'm so grateful that I got that advice. You know, even when I didn't want it, um, you know, they're like, you're going to burn yourself out. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You know, uh-huh. it's of me. Um, but, you know, in the end, I was like, you know what? I would have burnt myself out. <laughs> and they were yeah. like, I would have totally crashed and burned if I didn't learn to release and not micromanage and learn to have a team that you trust to work with.
0: Exactly. I love that. I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. Thank you for the transparency. But last question for you. If you were hopping on podcast, you are hopping on podcasts. If you're doing press TV, all this good stuff, and you could only give one piece of advice, like just one piece of advice for the rest of your life, what would that be? Hmm,
1: That's a good question. Travel and explore. And if you have children, bring them with you.
0: Travel and explore. I love that.
1: I think that would be it because I feel like a lot of my success or understanding children or being in the schools, like the parts of me that I feel like I bring back to those kids is not judging their diversity, being able to connect with them on a deeper level. And part of that comes from my travels and it comes from being able to see the world and having a father who didn't mind if I missed a day or two of school to make sure that I went away with him. Um, And, you know, of course I still have to do my homework and make up for it. But, um, you know, I I feel like there are friends of mine that I see making the mistake where they're like, no, 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 we have a very strict schedule and our kids have to go to class. They can't miss any school and they don't bring them away because they're afraid of traveling with kids on a plane and they think it's gonna be horrifying. And, you know, I'll wait till they're teenagers. I'm like, no, like this is the time, like travel with your children. And if you're an adult, get out there, see the world, you know, like there's parts of the world that might not be there soon. Like um, even looking at what's happening in Italy, there are people who are saying like, oh my God, I wish I went to Italy before this happened. Cause now we're worried about the economic uh, situation and what's going to be happening. So when it be open tourism, like what's going to really be, in the country what's going to happen right um or just there was a, a landmark that my friend wanted to go to in hawaii and she never got to visit it because a volcano erupted and now it's gone and you know oh, so wow. just, you, you know like things like that are happening in the world and don't don't take that time and think like oh i don't i'm not able to like see the world enjoy it um there's just so much to see so much culture that is there i so, agree yeah.
0: i I agree. I love that. I love that. We've heard that. We haven't heard that piece of advice given for that question, but we have talked about travel and what it does for individuals in regards to growth and being, you know, exposed to different cultures and things of that nature. So I definitely appreciate you sharing that because it, you know, reinstills it in our community's mind. So thank you for that. But Jitalia, I just want to say thank you again for hopping on. Um, I'm going to have all of your social links, websites, where they can get the book, all that good stuff in the show notes. But where are you hanging out the most? Are you hanging out? Hanging out on the gram? Or are you hanging out elsewhere? Just because our people Honestly, like to connect. Instagram, and
1: Instagram is my okay. number one. So like when people send me a message on, on, on Instagram, I actually try to get my person go through them. And um, that I try to engage all my followers. And, you know, if you're one of those people who really cares about me following back, if you send me a message about I say I try my best if I have extra follower space. To do it um you know i feel like it's important to engage our people and it's hard to multiple to, to manage more than one platform so that's my number one platform
0: i hear that awesome okay cool sounds good again i appreciate you hopping on here adding value today especially during this quarantine knowing you're in new york oh, too craziness oh that's my going God. on
1: can we talk about this quarantine real quick we
0: can I we can, think I can say,
1: like it's been crazy to change to switch the script from teaching in person to e-courses. Like, so anyone who's out there, I'm giving you all thanks for doing the work that you're doing. And for anyone who had to transfer to e courses, teachers, instructors, I top hats off to you because literally, I know it's hard, and I know that it's not the easiest. Because on my end, that was our hardest pivot was how do you keep the attention of a seven-year-old who is like, oh, butterfly? You know, <laughs> and you, you have to engage them for a whole course, and in person is so different the dynamics versus an e course. So, yeah, shout out to everyone dealing with this pandemic
0: right literally it's craziness but hopefully we are seeing brighter days uh much sooner than uh than later that is for sure but thank you again Jitali. i really appreciate it thank you And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, from my girl, Jatali. Now, I want to make sure that you are connecting with her. All of her social links are in the show notes of this episode. You can find her website, all the projects she has going on, if you want to get behind them, if you want to support them, if you know individuals that may be able to, definitely check it out, share it. You could also find her book. If you have a child, I highly suggest it. And you want to know what, even if you are not a parent just yet, brushing up, on some of these things may be able to help you in regards to raising a child and being able to convey financial intelligence and financial literacy at a very very young age which can then in return provide and yield amazing results to come maybe not make as many mistakes as I did so I just wanted to throw that out there make sure you are connecting with Jital. you could find all of those links in the show notes of this episode as always again I want to give a huge shout out to our partners over at Acadium if you are looking for remote marketing interns in your business for your projects whether you're in the C suite, or whether you're a startup, maybe you're a speaker, or an author, or a podcaster, whatever the case is, Acadium is able to provide. Everyone with a remote marketing intern. There's so many ways to refine your search based on your needs from social media to your web design, everything in between, country, languages spoken. The list goes on. Seriously, check it out right in the show notes of this episode. And as always, I want to break down three points. In fact, I actually wrote down four. Uh, This time I wrote down four. I'm going to bend the rules here a little bit. But first one every no you hear brings you closer to the yes that you want to have, the yes that you want to hear, right? And it sucks to hear it like that, but it's so true true and that no hearing that no over and over and over again can be really deprecating nonetheless trust me I know I've been there there's days I still am there in fact hey I'd be lying if I say that I wasn't there this week right hearing no sucks but you need to keep showing up you need to keep being persistent you need to keep knocking on the door and you will get to that yes right you need to keep showing up so I wanted to point that out number two our wiring is reprogrammable right when Jatali goes into these schools and her instructors go into these schools and they're working with these children who are raised at such a young age, whether it's society or maybe their households to believe that they're not capable of achieving X, Y, and Z we need to understand that even at whatever age you're at, whatever age I'm at, whatever age they're at, we are all reprogrammable and it is possible to live the life that we want to change our habits, to change our way of thinking. So I did want to shine that light. If you are one of those individuals that may be on the brink about that or may need some direction, reach out to me directly. I would love to have a conversation with you and just chop it up. Judgment free zone. I want to be able to help you. So I'm throwing that out there as well. You can connect with me in the show notes of this episode. All my social links are always there. Reach out to me directly on my website, however you want to get in touch with me. Seriously, I really, really urge you to do so. Number three, you are not missing out on anything when you are in pursuit of your goals. Now, Jitali, at 16 years old didn't have FOMO. In fact, she took that internship. Right? She took that internship knowing it would continue to propel her closer to where she wanted to be in life. She wasn't worried about the party. She wasn't worried about the holiday weekends. She wasn't worried about any of that she just was laser focused in on what she wanted i highly suggest everyone getting clear on what they want because that's where it starts right get clear on what you want understand that you're not missing out on anything and that of course you could have some sort of balance in your life if you want to take that trip i urge you to do so in fact jitali does as well you just heard her make sure you're traveling right there are so many ways to incorporate fun in the pursuit of those goals so i wanted to point that out and number four man i never give four but as I was editing this episode, our team was editing this episode, I just randomly heard the thought or heard the point that Jitali made, which is when you reach new levels in life, you're gonna be faced with new devils. I'm going to let that sink in. When you reach new levels in life, you're going to be faced with new devils. And it sucks to say, but there are always temptations, right? Whether that means you get a $50,000 check, you're not going to go blow it on a $50,000 car, but I guarantee, maybe guarantee is a strong word, but who knows? You might be tempted to go do that, right? Go blow it on a new car. The list goes on and you need to understand that no matter what level you reach, discipline will always be there. Discipline is your answer to that. You need to stay disciplined. You need to stay clearly focused on the goals. You need to understand what the goals are. You need to have self-awareness. I could talk about this for days. Maybe it's an episode to come. We're gonna be doing some more roundtable episodes coming soon, just throwing that out there. But I wanna recap these points. Number one, every no you hear brings you closer to the yes that you want to hear. Number two, our wiring is reprogrammable. Our habits, our ways of thinking, that is reprogrammable. Even if you picked up habits from your parents, I promise you, they are reprogrammable. Number three, you're not missing out on anything when you are in pursuit of your goals. Of course, there's balance. Of course, there's ways to have fun. There are ways to incorporate all of that, but no FOMO when you're in pursuit of the goals. Number four. There are new devils when you reach new levels. Now, I want to give a huge shout-out to Jitali again for hopping on here. Nonetheless, hopping on here during quarantine while she's taking care of her child. Boss. Absolute boss. Just giving that shout-out one more time. Make sure you connect with her. Shout-out to our partners over at Acadium. Check me out on social. All my stuff is in the show notes of this episode. And until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.